Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Carrie Nagel on the RiderFlex podcast. Hi, Carrie. Hi. You Good doing all right you. today? Doing great. Doing great. Are you in Denver? I am just outside of Denver, but in Colorado. I live uh, down south a little bit in Highlands Ranch. Okay, very good. I live up north. I don't know if you've been up north going into Loveland or Fort Collins lately, but geez, the uh, construction up here, holy cow, man, it is crazy. They said Fort Collins is the, the third right behind uh, Denver and Boulder about building and growing and expanding. I was telling my wife, I said, I said, damn, I said, is every bridge under construction or is that my imagination? Like, I, I you know. <laughs> it must be that kind of a year. What, uh, I don't know if you know where Johnstown is, just south of Loveland. It used to be a little farm town, but now it almost blends in. When we first moved here 16 years ago, there was like one stoplight. <laughs> Things might have changed just a little bit, given the uh, influx into Colorado from uh, one stoplight, I've got to imagine. Big time. Now, are you from the East Coast? Are you from Maryland originally? Where, where are you from? So I was born in Baltimore and very okay. young, sub two years old. We moved to Michigan. My father... Uh, was a physician. And so what was supposed to be a year of fellowship turned into 30 years and me growing up there. Okay. Uh, so we're about, I was two hours North in Detroit, a very small town called Oxford, uh, horse country, dirt roads. I lived on a farm, uh, really took field trips to my house. I went to a private school that was just outside Detroit and they used to take field trips to see our sheep and our goats and <laughs> the best of both worlds, the, the elite private school education growing up and the farm life that I could be, you know, a true, true eighties kid, if you will. Okay. So you're the first podcast guest on the show that had a petting zoo at her home when she was growing up. <laughs> I have a lot of weird, fun facts that some might not guess of me. Wow. Sure. Did you, uh, did you, so how many acres? I'm just curious. Did we were on 32, 32 acres and, uh, we had sheep, goats. Yes. I drank goat's milk. It's very healthy right. for you, but it's right. disgusting. Cool. And, cool. Now, uh, did you have to bottle feed? Did you have to bottle feed any calves in the morning before you caught the school bus? We did not have cows, but I did have to throw hay and pitch stalls at 5 a.m. before we left for school every day. So, yes, I was a farmhand. You know, looking at your LinkedIn profile, like I never would have guessed that. I never would have guessed that. Holy cow. Yeah. That's pretty good. You, know, you got a lot of work ethic from that, though, I bet. Right. There's a, there's a lot to be said there. I did. And my dad once got interviewed. My parents did for his hospital. And uh, this is a terrible story, but a really good laugh that when they interviewed my mom and said, how do you feel about living on the farm life and having a commute? 
and your daughter dealing with horses. And my mom said, well, if she can handle a 1500 pound animal, she can handle any guy when she gets older. (laughs) The work ethic and and kind of dealing with uh, different circumstances definitely trained me for the professional world per se. That is so awesome. Any siblings? I do. I have two older brothers. Uh, They're back east still in uh, Maryland. So living a good life. That made you that made you even more tougher because you got two older brothers giving you a hard time. Okay. Well, I'm starting to see where all the personality shaping here. Did your mom, did your mom just run the, run the farm, run the house or what'd she do? My mom was an RN. Uh, so my parents uh, met in med school and nursing school simultaneous at Maryland. And uh, she helped put us through school, uh, private school, because she became the health educator there and, nice. uh, and then retired after we were all done with high school. Are they both retired on the farm now? They are. They are. Sweet. Do you, yeah. do you go back? You go back. Is that what you like for Christmas or whatever? You go back. Like, is there, I, the, everybody, do the brothers come in? Everybody goes to the farm? So they are now in Virginia. Uh, my father has since passed, but they have 130 acres in Virginia with horses on it. And uh, that's where I go for holidays and things of that nature. Absolutely. So very cool. Very yeah. cool. Okay. All right. All right. Okay, so you you uh, grew up there in Michigan. Um, how did you decide where to go to school? Uh, I think it's a private uh, a, a private liberal arts school. How did you decide where to go? What you wanted to major in? Go ahead. Really, really funny path. So uh, parlaying from the farm into what I wanted to do with my life, I was pre vet. So okay. I started. Um, we used to breed dogs, show dogs. Another fun oh. fact: best trainer handler in the state of Michigan for 1991. What? What? Oh, you still have the, you still have the, like the award or the plaque or the trophy somewhere. My parents still have it at their house. I'm very proud <laughs> of it. So for my 11 year old self, but, um, sweet, sweet. so I, I was pre-vet and being in Michigan, Michigan state, um, had one of the pre best pre-vet programs in the U S at that point. Um, That's still does, I believe today. I had my first semester there and did rounds with the vet students. And, you know, a lot of them, it's a tough road of vet med. It's a lot of species. You have to learn the anatomy and how to treat. It's harder actually to get into vet school than it is med school. Um, It's a very hard program. And then simultaneous Michigan States that year, we lost in some basketball championships. And unfortunately, there was a little retaliation on campus and it didn't put Michigan State students in the best light. And when I talked to the missions director, they said, you know, Michigan State's kind of a big party school. And I said, but I have a 4.0. No, no, I don't know about that. So I switched second semester into human medicine. Um, My dad's doctor, brother's a doctor, mom being a nurse. Uh, And I switched um, my family. My grandparents were in Maryland. My uh, parents had both graduated in Maryland. My brother was out there in medical school. So I switched to a school called Goucher. Mm-hmm. And uh, top, top school education-wise, great acceptance into med school. And then along the way, I picked up a second business major and totally veered off after I took <laughs> everything. So when you told your parent, when you told your parents you didn't want to go to med school, were they at first were they like, what? How would that conversation go? Not at all. My dad um, always wanted us to pursue what we loved, but have a sound uh, financial mind at hand as well. So a nice yin and yang balance. And my dad said, look, medicine is not what it used to be. Um, It's got a lot of hardship, uh, a lot of compliance, a lot of complexity with the industry. 
You have to love it. If you go into medicine, eat, mm. sleep, breathe it. It's not about all the rest. So if you aren't eat, sleeping, breathing this, kudos to you, go pursue business. And, um, and he actually had encouraged me during kind of my pre-med route to get my business degree, to open up my own practice or, you know, just pick up some life skills. So I literally just picked up an accounting class because I thought this will be good for a life skill. And it forayed into a whole degree, a second degree. How about that? Wow. It's interesting how life takes these little turns, right? I mean, you just, you know, right. you, you, it's, it's so interesting. Okay. And then walk us through your early career. So you, you, I know that you started out as an analyst, but at some point people were like, wait a minute, she's got the people skills for like account management and different things. So somebody, somebody steers you in a different direction. <laughs> yeah. So my first internship actually was in pharma. So I've uh, to date had about six different industries I've traversed. The core of it was I've always had an analytical mind. Um, and so when I uh, was in college trying to do all the right things with summer internships and jobs, I was an intern at a pharma consulting firm and I was an analyst for them. And that was a nice cross of my medical and my business degree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when I graduated, it was a pretty tough economy in 02. Um, didn't go to med and then stuck on that analyst route and continued full-time employment with them as an analyst working um, on a lot of research projects for some of the biggest pharmaceutical companies. Now, right um, there, let me, let me pause right there for a second. At that stage in your life, you were probably what, 22 or 23? Where were you? Like, right. Young twenties. Right? Yep. Okay. Did you know, right then, did you know, I want to be a C-level, C-level executive someday, or that wasn't quite formulated yet? I'm just curious. It wasn't formulated, but I would say, you know, if you look in, in retro, yeah. there were all these things in my life that I just naturally took a leadership type of role in, um, okay. in grade school, when we would have downtime in between class, we had these little, we called them clubs. They were not by the school. They were little cliques of friends and it would just be these silly, like the sticker club and whatever. And I would start You're a club, um, in college and in high school, I started a community service group for the school. Um, I just would do things and it was kind of innate in me. So no, I, I didn't at that point in my life and, and, you know, my young twenties go, I want to be a C-level that hadn't entered in. But, but you were always the one, uh, if there was a leadership or somebody to organize things, or if there's a group of people are like, okay, where are we going to lunch? Like Carrie's like, yeah, we're going this way. You were, you're yeah. one of those. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I am. Now, now, I meant to ask you, hold on, I know I'm going backwards, but I'm just curious. You graduated high school at a 4.0. Did you, did you relax in college a little bit? I mean, did you do a little partying? I mean, was it, did you were like, were you in the library every day or did you, did you let your hair down a little bit? A little bit. Um, I did enjoy, I did have fun. I did make okay. great friends. Uh, right, I wish right. that maybe I'd taken one summer to just work in Ocean City Maryland yeah. and be on the boardwalk and work at the t-shirt store, have a little, <laughs> little less, uh, you know, of a formal job, but of course, all lead, all roads lead to something right down. Everything happens. Okay. For me I was just, I was just curious if you were always so serious or if you had a little bit of fun. Okay. I want to go back. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to go backwards. Um, all right. So, so you're moving along in your career. Um, yeah. Walk me through a little bit more. Um, yes. so, go ahead. So I, so I was at the consulting firm, great group, very small consulting firm. And then, you know, when you're in your young twenties and you're consulting, what are you doing? Not much. You're doing all the grunt work and it's not fun. Right. Um, so I actually resigned from that 
and tried to figure out my next move. And very odd story. I was taking a kickboxing class and one of the women in there was going after an engineer. And I said, well, while you're handing out jobs, I'm right here. And she's like, are you serious? Here's my card. And so I applied. I almost didn't make the cut. I did nail the job on the final interview. They gave me a slight chance. And that was a company called advertising.com that was eventually acquired by AOL. And I they see. were I see. first I in the industry to do performance advertising. And I became part of a pretty high standard analytic group uh, that, that you know, ran kind of the margins, if you will, for the company, the demand and the supply side. We were in the middle um, and was there for a long time. So ad tech, uh, you know, right on the cusp of the dot-com bust and then Mm -hmm. forayed into, they did online ad network. And then I lucked out and uh, I did get pulled into a company called Merkel. And that was a learning lesson. Never heard of it. (laughs) Kind of a little little company, right? And uh, (laughs) I learned something really important. I am not well-suited for big companies. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I um. I want to run at my pace. I want to try things. I want to fail. I don't want to have to ask three levels for permission. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't pick up on that at all about you. What are you talking about? (laughs) Never, never. I I can't, I can't surf the web enough during the day, you know? So uh, you're you're over there. You're over there. You're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this. Okay. I I can't do this. (laughs) So it was very shortly after I left uh, that I was recruited into a company called Millennial Media. Uh, The COO had worked at advertising.com, recruited me in to head up operations for them. And I was 14th joining there. The overview there was I was there about seven years. I really went up the ranks and jumped all over the place and gained a lot of skills. We went public within five years. Um, It was a true. Did you score on that deal? Did you did you personally score on that deal? I, I was able to take some breaks after I had moved to Colorado. So, yes. Nice. All yeah. right. Not reti- So you couldn't retire, but you could take some breaks. Okay. All right. Yeah. Some breaks after a really hard seven years with the team. So nice. Nice. I nice. ran ops. I was over top of part of our sales org. I helped do uh, run the IPO, writing parts of our S1. Great experience. Uh, Wonderful to, experience. Moved to Singapore. Uh, lived what? in national for two years. Yeah. Oh so, wow! All right. All right. All I'm right. Out. And uh, all right. So, so then you took your you took your cash and you're like, what? I want to go to Colorado and chill for a while, or what? I stuck in in Baltimore because um, one of the lessons I had learned is I was very inward facing at those companies. I was eat, sleeping, and breathing. I bled millennial media. Um, I loved it. I believed in it. And then we got to that size and I had learned that lesson. It was time to move on, but ad tech was really evolving. It was a really crowded space. And my next move was to, I was an SVP by that point and I wanted to go COL. And I had determined that at the start of millennial. So it was in my late twenties. Good. I had some goals and timelines. And so. What attracted you about that role? What, what about that position made you say, I want to be one of those? That's a great question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. I think, I think it's that at the core of it, first, you're multitasking. Ops is different at every company and the COO is different and even different over the time and tenure over a company. Mm-hmm. And I like kind of having my hands in all the cookie jar parts. I don't want to ever be on the front line. Um, I have never had my sights on CEO at the 
the very helm or an entrepreneur. I like to execute on things. I like things to finish and to win and have success and look at the pieces and the components as you go along and to see orgs have common goals, divide and conquer, and then come back together on an umbrella to grow the company and move it forward. That's really fulfilling for me. Um, was there a, was there a CE, COO mentor? Was there somebody you, you looked towards and said, oh, that person right there? Absolutely. Um, it was the COO at ad.com. It was also a millennial. His name is Steve Root. Um, he's a bit of a Freudian father figure as well. Um, Steve, I've known since 23 years old, uh, I'm now 41 and he, to this day, we talk very frequently, his daughter and son-in-law moved out here and I'm giving back to him now. And he mentored me for years. And I just thought he's brilliant. He has such a way of looking at the big picture yet jumping into the weeds. Mm -hmm. And he was just an, a mentor and advisor to me. Okay. Great. All right. Very Very good. Okay. So. I was curious as, as to whether or not you had somebody you were kind of, you know, at, you know, a mentor that you were looking towards. All right. So you knew then you wanted to be, you wanted to, to, to be a COO. Did you start applying for positions then? Did you start saying, calling all the recruiters you knew, telling people this is what I'm going after? Is it, do you specifically targeted that position? I did. Um, so, you know, part of what Steve and the rest of the executives at Millennial, there were four C-levels they gave me a lot of opportunity, a lot of opportunity to fail. And I failed a whole bunch, um, you know, and, and I learned, but I had a safety net with them. And so I would fail and they would pick me back up. They would guide me, they would mentor me. And I reached kind of a ceiling because we were a public company and I was an SVP and there was no way I was going to be a C-level there. Um, I just didn't have the background. And so I started applying and they all gave me a good push. Um, so I networked that's when I realized I had been too inward facing and I didn't have as big of an external network, a professional network as I should have for networking for my next opportunity. Let's pause um, right there. I want to take a deep breath right there for the listeners. That, that is that right there is a critical point. There, there are a lot of people like yourself right there at that point in their career where there's, they're super smart. They've worked really hard in the jobs that they've had, and they have a very good reputation in a small group of people that know them. But because they're kicking ass at work and they're totally all into their company, they don't take the time to manage their LinkedIn. They don't take the time to do some external networking things because most people like you at that point look at that almost like, well, that's, I don't really need to do that. I'm moving up where I'm at. It's kind of a waste of time. I feel like I'm goofing off if I do that and I'm not focused on my company. It is really important, I think, if you want to move to the C-level, to, to spend time marketing your, yourself to the public outside of your immediate network. It is important because, because when you do decide to make a change, it'll, it'll happen faster, right? So, yeah, so right then, you're, right then you're like, man, I only have like 150 connections on my LinkedIn. That's not good or whatever. I don't know. I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I call it, I came up for air. Right. Yeah. And I came up for air and, and I realized, man, now I'm going to people to network with them, but I'm needy. And if anybody knows the East Coast, yes. Yes. I love my East Coast network, but, you know, it's not as easy to always get a meeting. And if you're approaching somebody for the first time with an ask rather than a give, yes. that's a hard situation to be in. And so I wholeheartedly agree with you. You network when you don't have to. Yes. So when you need to. It's pushed you. It's not a pull from you. 
And I really believe in that. Um, I also, one of the things that I had realized is I, this is in a big piece of advice that I give people. Um, I tell, it doesn't matter where you are in your career, you should have a personal advisory board. So, right, you have boards for companies and you have advisors. Why are you any different? And I think a personal advisory board um, shouldn't be just your former executives, right? They should be people that are distanced away that you can be very open and vulnerable with that are all different disciplines to give you a different perspective. Sometimes they slap you around. Sometimes they lift you up. They give advice and they are looking out for your best interest, not a dual sided. And so um, that was another realization. My personal advisory board was basically the same cohort of people that I just worked with and I needed to expand that. And so I took a good year to really network and build that. And that was my biggest mission, like a job was to expand my professional network. Really good stuff. Okay. And then at some point you contacted somebody, introduced you, somebody, somebody got you straighter line, uh, which I was not familiar with, but then you, you landed the first big COO job. Boom. <laughs> That's right. I uh, was introduced actually through a network that my, my resume was handed to the recruiter. Uh, they are based in Baltimore. They're an ed tech company that does low cost online education. Um, couldn't be more relevant today than ever. Um, and growing like gangbusters. And we were a pretty small company. I was running most of the teams there. We grew, we were profitable, double digit numbers really evolved. Um, and they actually were acquired last year in 2020, which is great. Wow. Okay. Um, Did you score on that? Did you score on that or you you were already gone? I, I had left, but, um, you know, I believe very much in the team and the company there. And so, uh, you know, it's always nice to, to reap when you've worked there for several years. Okay. I think I know what the answer. Okay. I got it. Thank you for answering that. <laughs> yeah. All right. and why'd you, why, why did you get recruited away or why'd you leave? So uh, I I'm intertwining all this personal stuff, but during this time at the end of my millennial tenure, I met my now husband and he lived North in Jersey and PA. We moved now, was, in. And- did he work? How'd you meet him? How'd you meet him? Through uh, my best friend who works in his industry and tried to matchmake us for two years. And I was too busy and living abroad and focused on work. And then finally, one day you met at a restaurant and, and it was magic right away or it took a while? Magic right away. Oh, really? uh, first date, you know, my friend joined us. It was the three of us at a table. And I was like, wow, this guy is smart. We share interest. And Cool. He's great. And I think this is going to go somewhere. And we have a common interest of top gun. So, you know, what else do you need? <laughs> now, now I'm hoping he's not a type a slash. I'm going to make sure everybody's organized and be in charge. Cause if he is, you guys would be killing each other. <laughs> we're up. Op- we're opposites to track. We have the foundation that's common, right? Our okay. beliefs, okay. our direction okay. in life, but yes, we're a little yin and yang. Okay. Well, that's so, a good thing. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> it is. It is. So we moved together to Delaware and I was commuting from Delaware to Baltimore, which took me about two hours each way every day with my then golden retriever. And my mother said to me one day after commuting to private school, uh, a long time of my life, you know, the drive, you could die on it and a job's not worth it. I'm like, oh, mom, you're so dramatic. And then what happened is one day I almost hydroplane and went into a wall um, and it freaked me out. Wow. And I got in, told my husband it's time because we had toyed 
for a very long time with going somewhere that was more outdoor driven because we have an excessive amount of hobbies. And we talked about it, talked about it, but it was, ah, oh, this is a great company. I don't want to leave. And then finally, it was kind of that wake up call um, of we're in our late 30s. If we're going to move, move, it's now or never. Um, we don't have children or not going to. And so it was like, all right, we're free to, to make these choices. And so I turn in my resignation. I put in another six months and we moved to Colorado. With no job. No job. Um, my what husband. About him? What about him? He moved with no job, too. So he were, has worked for the same company since he was 20. Uh, he works for a company called GLI, and that's a pool manufacturer. Okay. And okay. Uh, he transferred out, but I moved first in December of 17. Okay. I moved on my own to be here to network. I learned my lesson and I networked right. with nobody in Colorado. And then had, he you moved been, had you been to Colorado, by the way? Had you visited? Had you skied or whatever? Yeah. So I looked at a bunch of cities and states, Colorado, North Carolina, Utah, Austin. Um, I've been out here skiing. Um, and okay. it's a very full circle story is when we came out on a fun week, I tapped my network and said, who knows somebody in Colorado professionally? I got one introduction. And on that fun trip, I met one guy. He is my today CEO that we have known for four years trying to get a time that, you know, things would magically light up and it just did this year. So, wow, that's great. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Okay. So I came out without a job and network for a while and my husband followed out after and transferred with his company. And you've been in Colorado for how long? About four years, going on four years this December. You know, so just so you know, something about me personally here, I worked in DC slash Baltimore. So company I worked for is basically between between Baltimore and DC. Okay. And so I know the area. I'm not as well as you do, uh, but I lived there in a corporate apartment for three years and flew back and forth because my primary home was in was in Colorado. Yeah. Nothing against anybody listening to this podcast that lives in that area, but there is just no comparison whatsoever. I just that there's no way. I you know my I remember my wife my wife and I uh, watched the 4th of July uh, uh, at, at uh, downtown DC and the white house was not far away. Cause we got invited to the special place and she was standing on top of the roof in some of the row housing districts downtown. And she's, she looked at me, she's like, I ain't never moving here. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, well, yes. So, uh, so I, yeah, I can see why. So you love, I'm guessing you love it here. I'm guessing you, you I love I it know. out here. I love how healthy people are. I love all the activities the state provides. And I was blown away at the tech community here and how yes. open and welcoming and how can I help you and let's integrate you in right away. And yes. Yes. Um, my now CEO was part of the reason I came here because I was told by two executives, make sure you come out in September to Denver Startup Week. And I'm like, mm -hmm. there's startup weeks everywhere. And they're like, no. <laughs> this is unlike any. And I came and my now CEO literally physically walked me around making introductions. And I had 30 people giving me their business cards and saying, how can we help you from execs, VCs, you know, folks that were retired and just come investors, you know, and, and it was really great. Um, I do miss aspects. Uh, I love my Baltimore network. I love my family and friends, of course, and I miss crab cakes and the beach. That okay. So you just yeah, yeah, you beat you beat me to it on the crab cakes. Well, seafood in general, right? I mean, yeah. uh, 
the my yeah the the things that I would say I loved about it were the seafood. I mean, you just you just can't you just cannot really get the same thing here, especially when it comes to crab crab cakes. The other thing I would give the East Coast there is is things move quicker. I mean, people 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 are you know you you better have your shit together when you when you're when you're moving around in, in DC and Baltimore. <laughs> I yeah, uh, if you couldn't if you couldn't tell by my rate of speech, I yes. when I first landed yes. here, everybody said. Slow you down, be, girl. <laughs> slow down, and you must be from New York. And I learned a valuable lesson when they say, "What do you do in the East Coast?" It's, "What do you do for work?" Here, when they say, "What do you do?" It's, "Do you mountain bike? Do you ski?" Right. And they're like, "Well, you'll learn. You'll learn our culture soon." So, uh, eventually, you, yeah. And what are what are the outdoor hobbies, real quick, before we do the Cyber GRX overview? What is your favorite? Yeah. Um, Favorite is horseback riding. You know, that horse girl never okay. left the farm. Okay. okay. Uh, ski, rock climb, uh, mountain bike. We hike, we paddleboard. We dabble in a whole lot. I am mediocre at a whole bunch. My husband is expert in a lot. And uh, I just try and hold pace with him. But uh, riding will okay. always be my favorite sport. I want to ask you a quick question here uh, about Colorado and the outdoors. This is a new kind of fun topic. I like to ask people, especially that live here. So I'm a huge mountain guy myself. I go, I've probably been 15 times this summer, uh, uh, camping and ATVing and all of it. I just do all of it. But uh, what is your current thought on campfires? Do you, do you, you know, that's a tough, I, I think that's such a tough topic, right? Like I, I personally love having a campfire. I think it's a huge part of going camping, but I traveled up to Northern Colorado and Southern Wyoming. And I've seen, I, I personally drove through the devastation and it is just gut wrenching. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I'm torn on this, like, man, I, ooh, should we eliminate those? Like, I don't know. What's your thought on it? I'm like you, I'm really torn when I go camping. Um, I really love a good fire, especially I'm a schmore girl. So like, that's yeah. like my eight year old self just has the best time. But, um, having a friend last year and, um, uh, near Lake Granby have to evacuate her home and the videos seeing the fire next to her homes with her children and everything, it really brought it home. Um, and especially this year, we're suffering from all the smoke from California and Oregon and all over. I And we've had so many people come here the last several years, but especially last year and a half that I don't think are educated yes. to the outdoors and how to behave and what to do and what a small thing that they could misstep on could have a ripple effect for a lot of others in a really monumental way. So I go no fires unless there's a plethora of rain. It's too risky. And most people don't know how to take care of them properly. So unfortunately we have to suffer that. And uh, we even got a little propane See, fire pit thing for the morning to like put our hands and warm up. So we just came back from a camping trip with one of those. I, I bought one uh, this recently. Right. I, said, screw, I said, screw it. I don't, even if there's not a fire ban, I'm just taking this. Cause I don't even, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, yeah. We'll get, we'll get off this topic. Cause I want to go into to cyber GRX, but I will tell you uh, when I was driving through, cause we were ATV forest road people. And uh, I was driving through some areas of Southern Wyoming and I just, I, I'd lo I mean, I lost it. I was by myself. I'd had a couple of beers 
And so I pulled over and, and I just, I was, I, I was crying. Like, I was like, man, this is like, okay, this is not cool. Like you can't do this. So anyway, I never thought I would yeah. vote with you, but yeah, I'm kind of with you right now. All right. So cyber GRX, uh, you are second in command there behind your friend that you've, that, that you've known for a while and followed there. Right. Um, give us, give us a cyber GRX overview. Tell us what they do. Give us a three minute elevator pitch. Go for it. Yeah, so I'm not our CRO, so my elevator pitch will not be as eloquent, but um, <laughs> a great company, CyberGRX GRX has been around for about five years. We are a third-party risk management solution um, in the cyberspace that helps companies really reduce risk through an exchange. So our exchange has our members on both sides um, and our customers who are looking at all of their vendors or their third parties that they're working with and looking at the controls, what poses high risk to a, a cyber attack, medium, low, et cetera, their whole portfolio view. On the other side, we work with thir the third parties who have to satiate all of these customers they work with on how their cyber posture really is and their reputation. Mm -hmm. And that becomes pretty arduous, right? If you think of the thousands of customers that some of these third parties are working with, mm -hmm. they fill out you know, data for them and that data can be really cumbersome if it's a little tweaked for everybody. So we've standardized that data um, at different levels and we facilitate on our platform the two sides to come together and really work as a community. Um, so a two-sided exchange. Uh, to date, we have um, just on the cusp of 10,000 third parties who we have data that have wow. contributed several wow. hundred customers. Uh, you know, it, it's really great. And um, what's really fun for me, this is a new industry, having just come off of oil and gas and cryptocurrency, and I've traversed a lot. This could not be a more important industry in our society today. Agreed. Agreed. We're, we're all keenly aware of the tax going on. And what a lot of people I learned, um, you know, through meeting our CEO, Fred, was you know, it's it's over 60% of the attacks that happen at companies happen through their third parties. Not I didn't always know that. Yeah. And so um, it's something that people kind of might not put at the top of their priority list, but it's becoming a more pressing, uh, a higher priority for everybody now, given the attacks, given where our society is going. So mm, it's mm. really great. Um, we're on a really great trajectory and it's a fun time to be in this industry. So it, can I uh, use my own company as an example? So, so, all right. So we use, we use as a recruiting firm, uh, RiderFlex uses something called Jazz HR for our applicant tracking system. We use HubSpot for sales. We use Google Drive to store some files. We use Lead IQ to hunt down phone numbers and addresses of people we're trying to get a hold of. We, we use all these different things, right? Just like you said, all these little, little, little third parties that we use. Would, would a company like ours say, hey, CyberGRX, here's all the people we use. Can, can you make sure they're secure and we want to run? And do we run our information through you to them or you're just checking to make sure what they're doing is okay? So we're facilitating bringing the sides together in a standardized way. Um, with a lot of feature and tools to help the customers. So you, if you were a customer, one on you can be a dual-sided member, but if you came in as a customer, you would submit, okay, HubSpot, I have uh, my ATS, I have Lead IQ, run it through your system and which one poses 
given how I work with those third parties, which are my high risk, medium risk, and low risk. So first we're gonna help you of your thousands possibly of third parties, which pose the highest potential risk to you. Mm -hmm. And then you would determine with your team, okay, I'm gonna take a little bit deeper um, of a look at the data. I need that data on that third party. And you would get it standardized across your vendors, your third parties. And then you would take a look at, or your security team rather, would take a look and say, boy, I'm concerned about this control or this control. Let me work with that third party and address this because I have a concern that it could you know, pose a potential mm. threat or a risk. Um, and so, and then the third parties on the other side, somebody let's say like um, Cisco or ADP or one of our third parties, right? They have thousands upon thousands of customers. Yes. So getting that data over to those customers when they need it, it's arduous, it's cumbersome, it's it's a lot. I and see. so via us, they can fill out all their data and they can share it for free with all of their customers and save mm -hmm. a lot of time and then get to the real crux of the issue, which is where are the risks, not the actual work to get to the data itself. So mm -hmm. if into, um, I make an analogy with LinkedIn. LinkedIn, you're bringing two sides together mm -hmm. as an exchange of information and data, but it also independently provides value for both sides of the constituents on the platform. LinkedIn right. doesn't do the work for you. It facilitates the community coming together. Can you tell LinkedIn not to charge me so much because they're our most expensive vendor? <laughs> I wish I had school over there, but... Uh... Uh, wow, yeah. Uh... Well, who's your target uh, customer? Um, small, mid-size, big companies, Fortune 500? Like, who are you targeting? So we work with everybody. We have some smaller companies and we have very big ones. I named two of our uh, constituents. You know, the ADPs, the Googles, the Cisco's, for example, um, are partners of ours, um, you know, are, are members on our exchange. Um, so we work with all sizes, but really our target is working with the security teams, right? CTOs, CIOs, CISOs. Yep. Yeah. And they vary on size, right? Um, this poses a threat to everybody. It could be a mom and pop shop or it could be a huge retail customer, right? Okay. So an enterprise corporate level account. Um, so we really okay. work with um, all different sizes on our platform. Um, do, you have, do you have companies as small as 10 million in revenue? Um, I don't know that for okay. sure, but I would, uh, cause I'm a new kid here, so I haven't poured through all the data, but, um, probably. Okay. Just curious. Okay. Very good. And no specific industry, you're industry agnostic, I guess. We work with, of course, our early adopters were those who are regulatory and compliance driven. And those tended to be the people that were all over security for compliance and, and risk mitigation, right? Um, this is such a big issue now that verticals, uh, different verticals are really taking a hard look. This is getting elevated to higher levels, getting more budget put towards it. And therefore we're working across all verticals. We work with anybody. Um, some are a better fit than others based on their teams and what they're seeking to do um, in working with us. Is it project-based uh, for one-time fee? Is it a monthly fee? Is it ongoing service? What, what's the subscription model or what is it? It's a subscription model. Um, we uh, tend to do multi-year deals because this is not a one and done. This is an ongoing landscape uh, that we're always addressing and our okay. uh, members are always taking a look at. Even if their ecosystem, their company and how they're working with vendors or third parties is not changing, the world around us is changing, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we're 
constantly ourselves as a company and then our members are always looking at their risk profile and reputation and trying to mitigate as much as they can. Now that you're in this industry and you're working in this and you're, it's all about security and, and all that, are you like, are you a lot more scared at home? Like, are you, are you like one of, now are you like, holy shit, I didn't, I didn't, it might, but you, you have to put the cover over your camera, even when the camera's off. I mean, is there, are you acting different personally now that you're in this, this industry? I'm just curious. It's really funny. It started before this company, when you're in ad tech and, and far before, um, you know, I was there before the smartphone came out at a mobile ad tech company, right? Millennial. Um, you learn about how much data somebody's collecting on you and you start to go, do I want all this data shared? Right. Sometimes it's really advantageous, right? I, I get free okay. stuff. Stuff yep. is catered to me. It can be really great. But that can start as a consumer. You go, wait a minute here. And then I worked for a cryptocurrency company and they're very secure, highly protected, take it very seriously. Um, and so my next level of security came working there. And then I think here we have a wonderful CISO who has really educated me. Um, and yep, reading a lot of the cyber attacks that you listen a little bit more on. Um, it hasn't changed my personal behavior other than maybe my passwords are that much more complicated, you know, adding those <laughs> characters and not using, you know, my birthday or whatever. But right. you know, that's just good hygiene for anybody these days. But it's... Um, it's definitely risen up in profile top of mind more than it did before, before I formally worked here. Yeah. Can I ask you this? I'm going to ask you two sensitive, so, two sensitive topics that are out there right now, and then, then we'll move towards some advice uh, to reach the COO level, but a couple of sensitive topics around this coll collecting data and just all of this stuff. Um, does it scare you that uh, Facebook and Google and everybody are collecting all this information on us and, listening in or whatever i don't know does it does that does that bother you at all you, does it scare you a little bit i don't know how what's your reaction to that you know um being professionally raised in an industry since you know the early 2000 mark we were collecting pii um you know a, a long time ago right metadata information you know what's their favorite music who are their friends what's their network oh look they drove from here to here they like this friend it, you know i saw the benefits to it of the free content um what ads could provide people and moreover it was catered right it was relevant content right certain news stories or things in my feed um it doesn't bother me as much as I think a lot of other folks, because I've been in these industries where I see how data helps as okay. well. Um, okay. I'm also, you know, I have stock I bought from Facebook very early on. So I'm a big believer in Facebook and Google, and I benefit from a lot of the services. Um, I am a Facebook member. I use Google a lot uh, and I see the benefits to it. Are there times where maybe my Amazon Alexa lights up and, says something when I haven't said her name and I'm like, oh, they're listening to every conversation. Yeah, that can sometimes get a little uncomfortable for me. And we might unplug our Alexas here and there, or unplug our Furbo dog camera that sometimes just lights up. There's there's a bit of, um, you know, how much is getting collected, but um, oh, I see a lot of benefit. Should Google and Facebook be able to turn people off or turn people on and decide what goes out there and cancel people <laughs> i don't know about canceling people that's a hot topic. i know I, I know that's why i'm asking you <laughs> i think um i think if it's a public safety issue yes i think a lot happens on platforms and social media 
And there's things in the news that you hear and the context clues are there, but it's privacy laws and all this. And I think when it could pose a public safety threat or, um, yeah, I, I, I do think okay. that there is a mechanism of watching out for misinformation and, um, uh, you know, preventing something that could have a ramification greater than just, you know, words on a platform. So, okay. Okay. I know that's a touchy sensitive topic. I decided you're kind of, you're kind of in the, this, this field of data collection. So I just wanted to ask you, okay, let's get into um, being a COO. We got, a, we got about 10 minutes here. What would you, based on what you've learned so far, what are two or three things you'd say right away to a, a brand new COO that called you up and said, Carrie, I just got the job. I'm a COO now. <laughs> what would you say? Ah. Obviously, congrats and buckle up would be my first phrase out of my mouth. Um, but I think, you know, I, I give a couple pieces of advice that I didn't learn or know is acceptable. And some of that, I think, comes with tenure in the working world. And some of it comes with different levels of positions. Mine kind of hit simultaneous. I was a relatively young first-time COO. Um, and, you know, you feel this responsibility to have all the right answers and, and be perfect and, uh, you know, hold your own and not let anybody see weakness. And that's wrong. Like, it's okay not to have the answer. In fact, it's good if you say, I don't know, be vulnerable, be honest, and then work really hard to understand the challenges and bring an answer or bring a solution or get others to help you. Um, and I think a lot of first times execs fear being vulnerable or making mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think with that as well, it's really important as a first time C level, you're like, all right, I'm in the shoes. I I've got to be perfect. I can't fail. Actually, we all make mistakes. So fail. And when you fail, I think there's something to admitting that and not just to maybe your peers, the other executives, your directs and the company, because a lot of companies say it's okay to fail here, but Folks don't trust that. Companies don't always uphold that. And so if you make a mistake, wear it, own it, admit it. And then what are you doing after? That's what really the sign of a leader is. Um, have empathy for your staff. I think there were times where I'm like, I'm the C-level now. and uh, But I wasn't that far removed from being you know, a VP and an SVP and having to take the higher levels, giving a strategic view and having to translate down into the technical org of how you're tactically going to execute. So have empathy for your staff. Don't forget, just because you're at the top, roll up your sleeves, help them, be part of it. While you're learning the no role, don't, don't forget what it was like to be in their shoes. Pitch in, um, admit mistakes, help them out. Um, and the last is that back to that advisory board. Leverage it, leverage it, leverage it. I would have been lost without it. I um, I needed to be hoisted up sometimes when I feel like I wasn't cutting it. Sometimes when I was a little cocky and big for my britches, I needed, there's uh, our horse analogy, I needed to be slapped around a little bit. And, yeah. um, and sometimes I just needed to bounce stuff off somebody and go, am I, am I doing this right? You know, am I acting the way I should? Am I executing the way I should be? Am I thinking the right way for the company and for the team? Um, you know, and, and listening to them, taking advice and putting into action. So that advisory board, if you don't have one entering it, 
hurry up and, and have one and build one. It'll really serve you well, especially as a first time exec. Love that, Carrie. What about you said earlier? I don't want to be uh, I don't I don't want to be a CEO. Uh, I want to challenge that a little bit. You know, I mean, why? I mean, have you completely shut that door? Are you you've said this is you know, this is it. I just my next step would be. I don't know. You grow C, you grow cyber GRX to a billion dollars and they get bought and then you go be a CEO for a fortune 500 company. What, but you're not, you'll never be a CEO. Have you really, have you closed the door on that? I have, you know, I did twist my career a little bit. Um, I was a chief people officer and also did chief people officer duties under CEO as well. And, you know, and, and I've run all the functions, but legal and finance. And for me, COO is my sweet spot. I really enjoy being a COO. Um, I really enjoy startup to growth stage companies. I have no desire to go to a bigger firm, um, fortune, whatever. And uh, CEO, yeah, I've closed the door. I've had some opportunities. I really revere CEOs, especially CEOs that are entrepreneurs. Um, I think they have a very tough job. Um, the vision um, to not listen to naysayers, to push through, to... Um, really hold the line on a lot of things. And they're that figure, right? They're where everybody looks to, you know, what's the vision? Where are we going? Um, and, and they have to hold externally that, you know, facade and that relationship. And that's kind of just not my jam. I'm a behind the scenes person. Uh, I like to execute. I like to look through data. I don't need to be external. I don't need to be at the helm. And I just don't desire that. I'm not the best visionary. I can be strategic and creative, which is fun, but I'm not a visionary. And most people that know me would be like, yeah, Carrie's going to listen to naysayers or she's going to tell you why it can't work and then plan for it to go. Not great for a COO. Plan for the worst, hope for the best, right? CEO, you want to be a bit more optimistic than I uh, sometimes am in business. So I respect uh, quite a bit all the CEOs and entrepreneurs I've worked with and for and um, it's just not something that, that uh, you know, I think my path is going to lead me to. But you're perfect for a, for a, a messy, visionary, creative person that, that, that isn't tactically sound. You're perfect balance for, the, for that person. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, just like my relationship, it's a good yin and yang. Absolutely. All right. Right. So, so your husband, he like leaves clothes on the floor, doesn't put the salt and pepper back where it's supposed to go, stuff like that. He's pretty good, actually. I will say he's he's actually pretty neat. But, uh, you know, I will jump to clean something a little bit sooner. Or I can't relax until I clean. He can he can know the value of relaxing, even if the kitchen isn't clean. Right. But I'm actually very lucky. My husband's a pretty neat guy in, in general. I am going to use that line with my wife this season, this evening, the value of relaxing, even though things aren't perfectly straight, the value of relaxing. That's a good one. I'm going to use that because she's like, I'm, I'm you in the relationship. And my wife is your husband in the relationship. And she'll just look at me and she'll be like, so she'll like, can you, will you just sit down, please? Will you just stop? Will you just stop it? <laughs> yeah. It's very hard for me to sit down and tell things that are on my to-do list are in order. And then I can relax. Uh, my husband very much has much better balance than I do. And <laughs> I want to make sure to take some time every day. Two final questions. I know we're almost out of time. Well, uh, one is if you could call the young, young lady coming out of college at the age of 21 and tell her anything now, 
Or maybe, you know what, for you, I think we should go back further. If you could call the young lady graduating high school and tell her anything that she should do differently based on what you know, what would you tell her? Listen more. Okay. Um, build more professional connections outside um, teachers, things like that. They have connections. Um, and I think being okay with change, not worrying about setting such a path up. You can plant your checkered flag. You can always move it. You can always mm. move it. Mm, I like that. That's good. Now, see, I thought you were going to say something like, yeah, I should have had a little more fun in college. Maybe that's why I went back to high school, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, I, guess, well, I guess I would have taken, take that Ocean City summer job at the t-shirt shop. Yeah. I, I probably would say relax a little bit there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the last question is if you had to define your core purpose in life, you know, kind of think bigger picture, you know, when you're, when you're looking up at the stars and you're like, okay, what, 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 what exactly am I doing on this blue ball floating around in this black space? How would you define your core purpose if you had to put it in a sentence or two? That's a hard question. I think if I put um, in light of work, right. Um, a lot mm -hmm. of people would put family and, and things yeah, yeah. for me for work is, I facilitate and enable scalable growth. And that's mm. for the company as a whole and individuals. I really, I really thrive on helping others learn from things I've learned on giving them opportunities like I was giving, passing it down per se, um, and trying to help them navigate. And I think that um, enabling them, giving them opportunity, helping them focus on the right things, clear through some of the noise, um, you know, I take, I take pride in that in my career. And I think that that's a big purpose that I serve is just to help facilitate a lot. Great stuff, Carrie. Awesome. Really appreciate you being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful.